Streams of Silver, Chapter 18, The Secret of Keeper's Dale. Keeper's Dale, Brunner declared solemnly. The companions stood on a high ledge, looking down hundreds of feet to the broken floor of a deep and rocky gorge. How are we to get down there? Regis gasped, for every side appeared absolutely sheer, as though the canyon had been purposefully cut from the stone. There was a way down, of course, and Brunner, walking still with the memories of his youth, knew it well. He led his friends around to the eastern rim of the gorge and looked back to the west, to the peaks of the three nearest mountains. "'You stand upon Fourth Peak,' he explained. "'Name for its place beside the other three. Three peaks to seem as one.' the dwarf recited, an ancient line from a longer song that all the young dwarves of Mithril Hall were taught before they were even old enough to venture out of the mines. Three peaks to seem as one, behind you the morning sun. Brunner shifted about to find the exact line of the three western mountains, then moved slowly to the very edge of the gorge and looked over. We have come to the entrance of the dale. He stated calmly, though his heart was pounding at the discovery. The other three moved up to join him. Just below the rim, they saw a carved step, the first in a long line moving down the face of the cliff, and shaded perfectly by the coloration of the stone to make the entire construction virtually invisible from any other angle. Regis swooned when he looked over, nearly overwhelmed by the thought of descending hundreds of feet on the narrow stair without even a handhold. We surely will fall to our deaths, he squeaked and backed away. But again, Brunner wasn't asking for opinions or arguments. He started down, and Drizzt and Wolfgar moved to follow, leaving Regis with no choice but to go. Drizzt and Wolfgar sympathized with his distress, though, and they helped him as much as they could, Wolfgar even scooping him into his arms when the wind began to gust. The descent was tentative and slow, even with Brunner in the lead, and it seemed like hours before the stone of the canyon floor had moved any closer to them. Five hundred to the left, then a hundred more,' Brunner sang when they finally got to the bottom. The dwarf moved along the wall to the south, counting his measured paces and leading the others past towering pillars of stone, great monoliths of another age that seemed as mere pillars of fallen rubble from the rim. Even Brunner, whose kin had lived here for many centuries, did not know any tales that spoke of the monolith's creation or purpose. But whatever the reason, they had stood a silent and imposing vigil upon the canyon floor for uncounted centuries, ancient before the dwarves even arrived, casting ominous shadows and belittling mere mortals who had ever walked here. And the pillars bent the wind into an eerie and mournful cry and gave the entire floor the sensation of something beyond the natural, timeless, like the holdfast, and imposing a realization of mortality upon onlookers, as though the monoliths mocked the living with their ageless existence. Brunner, unbothered by the towers, finished his count. Five hundred to the left, then a hundred more, the hidden lines of the secret door. He studied the wall beside him for any marking that would indicate the entrance to the halls. Drizzt, too, ran his sensitive hands across the smooth stone. Are you certain? He asked the dwarf after long minutes of searching, for he'd felt no cracks at all. I am, Brunner declared. 
Me people were cunning with their workings, and I fear that the door is too well hidden for any easy finding. Regis moved in to help, while Wolfgar, uncomfortable beneath the shadows of the monoliths, stood guard at their backs. Just a few seconds later, the barbarian noticed movement from where they'd come, back over by the stone stair. He dipped into a defensive crouch, clutching Aegis' fang as tightly as ever before. Visitors, he said to his friends, the hiss of his whisper echoing around as though the monoliths were laughing at his attempt of secrecy. Drizzt sprang out to the nearest pillar and started making his way around, using Wolfgar's frozen squint as a guide. Angered at the interruption, Bruner pulled a small hatchet from his belt and stood ready beside the barbarian and Regis behind him. Then they heard Drizzt call out, Cadabry! and were too relieved and elated to pause and consider what might have possibly brought their friend all the way from Ten Towns or how she'd ever found them. Their smiles disappeared when they saw her, bruised and bloodied, and stumbling towards them. They rushed to meet her, but the drow, suspecting that someone might be in pursuit, slipped along through the monoliths and took up a lookout. "'What bring you?' Bruner cried, grabbing Caterbury and hugging her close. "'And who was it that hurt you? He'll feel me hands on his neck!' "'And my hammer!' Wolfgar added, enraged at the thought of someone striking Caterbury. Regis hung back now, beginning to suspect what had happened. "'Fender Mallet and Grolo are dead!' Caterbury told Brunner. "'On the road with you? But why?' asked the dwarf. "'No. Back in ten towns,' Caterbury answered. "'A man. A killer was there looking for Regis. I chased after him, trying to get you to warn you. But he caught me and dragged me along.' Brunner spun a glare upon the halfling, who was even farther back now and hanging his head. I knew you'd find trouble when you come running up on the road outside of the towns, he scowled. What is it then? And no more of your lion tales. His name is Entreri, Regis admitted. Artemis Entreri. He came from Calimport from Pasha Pook. Regis pulled out the ruby pendant. For this. But he's not alone, Caterbury added. Wizards from Luskin search for Drizzt. For what reason? Drizzt called from the shadows. Caterbury shrugged. They've been taken care not to tell, but guess is that they seek some answers about Akar Kessel. Drizzt understood at once. They sought the crystal shard, the powerful relic that had been buried beneath the avalanche on Kelvin's Karn. How many? asked Wolfgar. And how far behind? Three they were. Caterbury answered. The assassin, a mage, and a soldier from Luskin. A monster they had with them. A golem, they called it. But I've never seen its likes before. Golem? Drizzt echoed softly. He'd seen many such creations in the Undercity of the Dark Elves. Monsters of great power and undying loyalty to their creators. These must be mighty foes indeed to have one along. But the thing is gone. Caterbury continued. It chased me on me flight, and would have had me no doubtin', but I pulled a trick on it and sent a mountain of rocks on its head. Bruner hugged her close again. Well done, me girl, he whispered. And I left the soldier and the assassin in a terrible fight, Caterbury went on. One is dead, I guess, 
and the soldier seems most likely. A pity it is, for he was a decent sort. He'd have found me blade for helping the dogs at all, Brunner retorted. But enough of the tale. There'll be time for telling. You're at the hall, girl, do you know? You're to see for yourself the splendors I've been telling you about all these years. So go and rest up. He turned around to tell Wolfgar to see to her, but noticed Regis instead. The halfling had problems of his own, hanging his head and wondering if he had pushed his friends too far this time. Fear not, my friend, said Wolfgar, also seeing Regis's distress. You acted to survive. There's no shame in that, though you should have told us the danger. Ah, put your head up, rumble belly, Brunner snapped. We expect as much from you, you no good trickster. Don't you be thinking we're surprised. Brunner's rage, an angry possessor somehow growing of its own volition, suddenly mounted as he stood there chastising the halfling. How dare you put this on us? He roared at Regis, moving Caterbury aside and advancing a step. And with me home right before me. Wolfgar was quick to block Brunner's path to Regis, though he was truly amazed at the sudden shift in the dwarf. He'd never seen Brunner so consumed by emotion. Caterbury, too, looked on, stunned. "'Twas not the halfling's fault,' she said. "'And the wizards would have come anyway.' Drizzt returned to them then. "'No one has made the stare yet,' he said. But when he took a better notice of the situation, he realized that his words had not been heard. A long and uncomfortable silence descended upon them. Then Wolfgar took command. "'We've come too far along this road to argue and fight among ourselves,' he scolded Brunner. Brunner looked at him blankly, not knowing how to react to the uncharacteristic stand Wolfgar had taken against him. "'Bah!' the dwarf said finally, throwing up his hands in frustration. "'The fool halfling will get us killed, but not to worry!' He grumbled sarcastically, moving back to the wall to search for the door. Drizzt looked curiously at the surly dwarf, but was more concerned with Regis at this point. The halfling, thoroughly miserable, had dropped to a sitting position and seemed to have lost all desire to go on. Take heart, Drizzt said to him. Bruno's anger will pass. The essence of his dreams stands before him. And about this assassin who seeks your head, Wolfgar said, moving to join the two. He shall find a mighty welcome when he gets here, if he ever does. Wolfgar patted the head of his warhammer. Perhaps we can change his mind about this hunt. If we can get into the mines, our trail might be lost to them, Drizzt said to Brunner, trying to further soothe the dwarves' anger. They'll not make the stair, said Caterbury. Even watching your climb down, I had trouble finding it. I would rather stand against them now. Wolfgar declared. They have much to explain, and they'll not escape my punishment for the way they've treated Caterbury. Where the assassin? Caterbury warned him. His blades mean death, and no mistaken. And a wizard can be a terrible foe, added Drizzt. We have a more important task before us. We do not need to take on fights that we can avoid. No delays! said Brunner, ending any rebuttals from the big barbarian. Mithril Hall stands before me, and I'm meaning to go in. Let them follow if they dare. He turned back to the wall to resume his search for the door, calling for Driz to join him. Keep the watch, boy, 
he ordered Wolfgar. And see to me, girl! A word of opening, perhaps. Drizzt asked when he stood alone again with Bruner before the featureless wall. Aye, said Bruner. There'd be a word, but the magic that holds to it leaves it after a while, and a new word must be named. None were here to name it. Try the old word, then. I have, elf, a dozen times when we first came. He banged his fist on the stone. Another way there be, I know, he growled in frustration. You will remember, Drizzt assured him, and they set back to inspecting the wall. Even the stubborn determination of a dwarf does not always pay off, and the night fell and found the friends sitting outside the entrance in the darkness, not daring to light a fire for fear of alerting their pursuers. Of all their trials on the road, the waiting so very close to their goal was possibly the most trying. Bruner began to second-guess himself, wondering if this was even the correct place for the door. He recited the song he had learned as a child in Mithril Hall over and over, searching for some clues he might have missed. The others slept uneasily, especially Caterbury, who knew that the silent death of an assassin's blade stalked them. They would not have slept at all, except that they knew that the keen, ever-vigilant eyes of a drow elf watched over them. A few miles down the trail behind them, a similar camp had been set, and Trary stood quietly, peering to the trails of the eastern mountains for signs of a campfire, though he doubted that the friends would be so careless as to light one if Caterbury had found and warned them. Behind him, Sidney lay wrapped in a blanket upon a cool stone, resting and recovering from the blow Caterbury had struck her. The assassin had considered leaving her. Normally he would have without a second thought, but Entreri needed to take some time anyway to regroup his thoughts and figure out the best course of action. Dawn came and found him standing there still, unmoving and contemplative. Behind him, the mage woke. Jerdan, she called, dazed, and Trary stepped back and crouched over her. Where is Jerdan? she asked. Dead, and Trary answered, no hint of remorse in his voice. As is the golem. Bach? Sidney gasped. A mountain fell on him. And Trary replied, And the girl? Gone. And Trary looked back to the east. When I have seen to your knees, I will go, he said. Our chase is ended. They are close, Sidney argued. You will give up your hunt? And Trary grinned. The halfling will be mine, he said evenly. And Sidney had no doubt that he spoke the truth. But our party is disbanded. I will return to my own hunt and you to yours, though I warn you, if you take what is mine, you will mark yourself as my next prey. Sidney considered the words carefully. Where did Bach fall? She asked on a sudden thought, and Trevi looked along the trail to the east. In a vale beyond the copse. Take me there, Sidney insisted. There is something that must be done. And Trary helped her to her feet and led her along the path, figuring that he would part with her when she'd put her final business to rest. He'd come to respect this young mage and her dedication to her duty, and he trusted that she would not cross him. Sidney was no wizard and no match for him, and they both knew that his respect for her would not slow his blade if she got in his way. Sidney surveyed the rocky slope for a moment, then turned on Entreri. 
a knowing smile upon her face. You say that our quest together is ended, but you are wrong. We may prove of value to you still, assassin. We? Sidney turned to the slope. Bach! She called loudly and kept her gaze upon the slope. A puzzled look crossed in Trerry's face. He, too, studied the stones, but saw no sign of movement. Bach! Sidney called again, and this time there was indeed a stir. A rumble grew beneath the layer of boulders, and then one shifted and rose into the air, the golem standing beneath it, stretching into the air. Battered and twisted, but apparently feeling no pain, Bach tossed the huge stone aside and moved toward its master. A golem is not so easily destroyed, Sidney explained, drawing satisfaction from the amazed expression on Entreri's normally emotionless face. Bach still has a road to travel, a road it will not so easily forsake, a road that will again lead us to the drow. Entreri laughed. Come, my companion, he said to Sidney. Let us be on with the chase. The friends still had found no clues when dawn came. Bruner stood before the wall, shouting a tirade of arcane chants, most of which had nothing to do with words of opening. Wolfgar took a different approach, reasoning that a hollow echo would help them ensure that they had come to the correct spot. He moved methodically along with his ear to the wall, tapping with Aegis Fang. The hammer chimed off the solid stone, singing in the perfection of its crafting. But one blow did not reach its mark. Wolfgar brought the hammer's head in, but just as it reached the stone, it was stopped by a blanket of blue light. Wolfgar jumped back, startled. Creases appeared in the stone, the outline of a door. The rock continued to shift and slide inward, and soon it cleared the wall and slid aside revealing the entry hall to the dwarven homeland. A gust of air, bottled up within for centuries and carrying the sense of ages past, ran out upon them. A magic weapon, cried Brunner. The only trade my people would accept at the mines. When visitors came here, they entered by tapping the door with a magical weapon? Drizzt asked. The dwarf nodded, though his attention was now fixed squarely on the gloom beyond the wall. The chamber directly before them was unlit, except by the daylight shining through the open door. But down a corridor behind an entry hall, they could see the flicker of torches. "'Someone is here,' said Regis. "'Not so,' replied Brunner. Many of his long-forgotten images of Mithra Hall came flooding back to him. "'The torches ever burn for the life of a dwarf and more!' He stepped through the portal, kicking dust that had settled untouched for two hundred years. His friends gave him a moment alone, then solemnly joined him. All around the chamber lay the remains of many dwarves. A battle had been fought here, the final battle of Brunner's clan before they were expelled from their home. By me own eyes, the tales be true, the dwarf muttered. He turned to his friends to explain. The rumors that came down to Settlestone after me and the younger dwarves arrived there told of a great battle at the entry hall. Some went back to see what truth the rumors held, but they never returned to us. Brunner broke off, and on his lead, the companions moved about to inspect the place. Dwarven-sized skeletons lay about in the same poses and places that they had fallen. Mithril armor, dulled by the dust but not rusted, and shining again with the brush of a hand, clearly marked the dead of Clan Battlehammer. 
Intertwined with those dead were other, similar skeletons in strangely crafted mail, as though the fighting had pitted dwarf against dwarf. It was a riddle beyond the surface dweller's experience, but Driz Duarden understood. In the city of the Dark Elves, he had known the Dorgar, the malicious gray dwarves, as allies. Dorgar were the dwarven equivalent of the drow, and because their surface cousins sometimes delved deep into the earth and into their claimed territory, the hatred between the dwarven races was even more intense than the clash between the races of elves. The Dwargar skeletons explained much to Drizzt and to Brunner, who also recognized the strange armor, and for the first time understood what had driven his kin out of Mithril Hall. If the Grey Ones were in the mines still, Drizzt knew, Brunner would be hard-pressed to reclaim the place. The magical door slid shut behind them, dimming the chamber even further. Caterbury and Wolfgar moved close together for security, their eyes weak in the dimness. But Regis darted about, searching for the gems and other treasures that a dwarven skeleton might possess. Brunner had also seen something of interest. He moved over to two skeletons lying back to back. A pile of gray dwarves had fallen around them, and that alone told Brunner who these two were, even before he saw the foaming mug crest upon their shields. Drizzt moved behind him, but kept a respectable distance. Banger. Me father, Brunner explained. And Garum, me father's father, king of Mithril Hall. Soren they took their toll before they fell. As mighty as their next in line, Drizzt remarked. Brunner accepted the compliment silently and bent to dust the dirt from Garum's helm. Garum wears still the armor and weapons of Brunner, me namesake and the hero of me clan. Me guess is that they cursed this place as they died, he said, for the Grey Ones did not return and loot. Drizzt agreed with the explanation, aware of the power of the curse of a king when his homeland had fallen. Reverently, Brunner lifted Garum's remains and bore them into a side chamber. Drizzt did not follow allowing the dwarf his privacy in this moment. Drizzt returned to Caterbury and Wolfgar to help them comprehend the importance of the scene around them. They waited patiently for many minutes, imagining the course of the epic battle that had taken place, and their minds hearing clearly the sounds of axe on shield and the brave war cries of clan Battlehammer. Then Brunner returned, and even the mighty images the friends' minds had concocted fell short of the sight before them. Regis dropped the few baubles he had found in utter amazement, and in fear that a ghost from the past had returned to thwart him. Cast aside was Brunner's battered shield. The dented and one-horned helm was strapped on his backpack. He wore the armor of his namesake, shining mithril, a mug standard on the shield of solid gold, and the helm ringed with a thousand glittering gemstones. By me own eyes, I proclaim the legends as true he shouted boldly, lifting the mithril axe high above him. Garum is dead, and me father too. Thus, I claim me title, Eighth King of Mithril Hall.